Hey on the call listeners, this is Jeremy Neff, and I'm here with my colleague Pam Leist. We'll get to the episode soon, but we want to share a quick announcement first. Jeremy and I are excited to share that we will once again be speaking at the LRP National Institute, this time in Savannah, Georgia, on May 5th through the 8th. Conference is really a fantastic opportunity for school education professionals like yourselves to come together and share insights and knowledge. Jeremy and I are honored to be speaking at the National Conference for the third year in a row. My session is Can You Keep a Secret? Navigating Confidentiality under IDEA 504 and FERPA. I'll be sharing practical tips for keeping your teams compliant with these laws. After leading a session for school attorneys on lessons learned from COVID, my topic for the National Institute is successfully mapping the exit from IDEA services. I'll discuss the different ways a student ends eligibility and how to ensure that's a successful transition. These sessions promise to be insightful and practical as always, and we always offer actionable takeaways you can implement in your schools. If you want to learn more about the National Institute, you can find a link in the show notes for the newest on-the-call episode or go to lrpinstitute.com. Pam and I hope to see you there in Savannah. Until then, enjoy this episode of On the Call. Anna Britton, how can I help you? Hi, Jeremy. I need some help. All right. I just, well, I just got off the phone with a parent who is really upset, mad, actually, about her daughter not making the cheer team. Oh, yes. Kids and extracurriculars. That can always be pretty sensitive. But why, why is she calling you? Well, her daughter has Down syndrome, and she's on an IEP. Mm-hmm. Now, we just finished her annual review, and the meeting was great. The family loved how included she was here at the middle school. The community just brought her in, including cheerleading. She was a cheerleader for the middle school basketball games. Okay. So she's now a freshman, and apparently the new cheer coach told the parent that because the high school team does cheer competitions, and she really feels like her daughter can't be on the team, the coach doesn't really think she can remember the routines. Welcome to On The Call, Ennis Britton's special education team podcast. I am Erin Westendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. So I have a confession to make after that call. Uh, I was uh, speaking at the National Institute for LRP. Okay. And I may have offered up a case that involved cheerleaders, and I made the mistake of suggesting somehow that cheerleading wasn't a real sport. Oh, you can't do that. You can't. I mean, now competitive cheer is a thing, and all the cheer moms are going to be really on you if you do not call that a sport. I literally ducked down behind the lectern. It was... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did it for effect. It's fine. Cheerleading is a sport. It is. It is. Absolutely. So just make sure we're clear on all of that. But I think it's also one where... And I hate to say it, we get a lot of phone calls about cheerleading and participation mm-hmm. and equal opportunity in cheerleading. And I'm not sure if that's because people view it as an easier way to include because of the non-competitive cheer teams or or necessarily what it is. But I think I get those for inclusion more than like water polo mm-hmm. or lacrosse. I don't get those. Those are very uppity sports. How about basketball or soccer? I mean, I still don't I don't get those it calls as much. There's a ton of emotional weight with sports in general and I think some sports stand out with even more. Yep. So. Cheerleading being prime example. Mm-hmm. 
But I think really where a lot of this focus comes down to, right, if we talk about where we always start with these calls is looking at what the law says. And so while we aren't necessarily talking in the world of IEPs alone, we're talking more Section 504, right, Mm -hmm. the ADA. This is one where, well, ADA similarities, it's going to overlay with the IEP world. And the law says very specifically that no otherwise qualified disabled individual, and I'm skipping over, I call those, you know, my my three dots. There's a fancier term for that. Ellipses. There you go. Thank you. Um, Solely by reason of his or her handicap or disability is excluded from participation, denied the benefits of, or subjected to discrimination under any program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Last I checked, most public schools in the entire country receive financial assistance. No one wants to go without that. And so those federal programs and um, activities are meant to encompass your extracurriculars, right? It's not just meant to be in the academic setting, whether your school starts like an eight to three program or a nine to four, that's not where this stops. Correct. Yeah. And and we're then told what to do with that, right? So that's our general anti-discrimination under 504 Mm -hmm. And it's been spelled out for us what that can look like. And it really just comes down to opportunity, right? Anytime we're talking about anti-discrimination. So we're not going to deny a child purely because of their disability the opportunity to participate in cheer or some other sport or extracurricular. We're not going to say, oh, well, here's your version of cheer or some other extracurricular. And finally, uh, if if we are going down that road, and, and I think the Office for Civil Rights slices this really thin. Sometimes it's hard to understand what the distinctions they're drawing. Uh, if, if we're going to offer something separate, it's because there is literally no other uh, appropriate, reasonable way for us to accommodate a child in the regular program. But don't you find in some of these moments when you know the phone calls come in and we have a concern, we have the statement, well, we did give them the same opportunity. We weren't giving accommodations on the front end of allowing the same opportunity at a tryout. We open the door and say, the tryout is your opportunity. We gave you that that same window. And we aren't necessarily recognizing it to say before that window opens for the opportunity at a tryout, you might even have to have some considerations of accommodations at that point for the tryout, right? And OCR has said very clearly, I think in, in guidance that they've given and courts have said in their interpretations that accommodations are appropriate at any of those levels, whether you know we gave you the opportunity, if it allows for the equal opportunity to participate both at tryouts and at the sport, unless for some reason it's fundamentally altering the activity, right? Giving an unfair advantage, creates an unreasonable financial or administrative burden or is an undue safety or health risk. You know, I caution, right? We always caution on the financial reasons because people are like, well, there's a lot of commas in there or (laughs) a lot of zeros. I'm not doing it. They tend to focus, right, on your total budget as a district, not just based on what the sole cost of maybe that accommodation is. Yeah, and they're not they're not there doing what we are in our heads, and we're like, gosh, if we spend this much on accommodating this child, and we've got this many hundred kids, that's that's not how it tends to work. So so we have that, but Aaron, we also 
even though this we see this primarily as an anti-discrimination and an opportunity type of question, we're talking about extracurriculars, IDEA does have something to say about this, right? They do. I mean, at least we put in the phrase in all of the IUPs that a child will have the same opportunity as their non-disabled peers to participate in the extracurricular and co-curricular activities, right? The non-academic pieces. And I think that while it does have some implications under IDEA and is included in the IEP, I don't know that a lot of districts really go beyond in defining what that is. I think it's maybe a practical tip early, but it's not like we've never done that before. (laughs) You know, having those conversations at the table to talk about what is your child interested in doing? What do you foresee your child wanting to do within a year so that you can appropriately prepare your teams or your non-academics? If we want to be at chess club or Mm -hmm. I don't know, I heard there's a D&D club. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all the things. I had no idea. And so and I don't really do D&D. I just thought it was interesting. And somehow I have a feeling my kid's going to come home next year from school and say, I'm a part of D&D, and she'll have no idea what it is, <laughs> and it'll be great. Um, but for all of those things to get an understanding of what a child may be interested in so you can get on the front end of, of talking about accommodations. Yeah, and I think the fact that IDEA specifically, I mean, if you do a, a, a search of terms in the regulations for your state, you're going to find that athletics are listed as a non-academic and extracurricular service or activity. And what that means is that it opens the door to using IDEA's dispute resolution processes, including formal complaints to a State Department of Ed, to resolve disputes about sports. So I think it's more that, less about faith. Like, I'm, I, I haven't met the kid that requires being a part of the esports team uh, I just wanted to pick on another sport that I will someday say that's not a real sport. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. You can get carpal tunnel or something from playing too much esports, I mean, right? Back in the day, Atari and Coleco, like my thumbs would definitely be sore, but there was one button and then just like the joystick. That was You're it. You're gonna be like the first game I ever played was Pong. What is with we had you? a Pong with the little <laughs> paddle ball thing? What Heck did yeah, you really? it's a lot of fun. Like on. Really? It was. I don't know if it would be today. Oh, okay. Well, either way. All right. Well, so back to 504. Yeah. Then this is where we have. Most of our um, this is where we have most of our guidance from the Office for Civil Rights, including a letter uh, from January twenty fifth, which is which holiday, Aaron? January twenty fifth. Oh. oh, it's the Scottish one. Yeah, Scottish Bur- holiday. Burns, Burns night. night. Burns, Burns night. night. I did it. Yeah, I got it, it eventually. It took me a minute. Um, so January twenty fifth, two thousand thirteen. You can find this easily online. Do a little search. Uh, significant significant guidance document that spells out um, what's expected for sports, and there were there were. Uh, three themes and then we've kind of tagged on one right so the themes we we saw in this letter are don't act on generalizations or stereotypes ensure equal opportunity for participation and consider offering and this is the one where we have like a little asterisk mm-hmm. by it consider offering separate or different athletic opportunities they kind of walk that back later that year and then uh, we add on one of being careful about um, non-school sponsored activities. And, and another caution that we tag on to this, or let's say a complicating factor when it comes to compliance for extracurriculars, is unlike what happens inside the classroom where everybody is licensed, they have their credential and lots of training and ongoing training, in the world of sports, We've got a lot of people, valued members of our community Making and our school a community. Penny an hour, yes. <laughs> it's you know I calculated it once back in my coaching days, and it, it was like seventeen cents an hour. I mean, it really wasn't it was that more dirty. than a penny, <laughs> but penny. okay. I mean, all right. <laughs> but many of them aren't licensed educators like I was, but instead are folks that are doing other things in the world where maybe they've never encountered disability protection laws or other things like that. 
Well, I, and I think that that's a fair point. I think that's both a complication and then it leads into here in a little bit, right? Making sure these people are trained and mm -hmm. having that conversation because sometimes, you know, well-meaning folk can say things really off color that might not be meant to be mean, but when interpreted by a, a set of ears that, you know, aren't necessarily receptive to that can come off really mean. And then that can read to be pretty discriminatory if I'm talking with the Office for Civil Rights. Right. Speaking of which, so they issued this letter in January of 2013. Again, there was a slight walk back in December of 2013 we won't get into. The very next year, we found a case that is interesting. It explores a lot of topics. We're going to focus a little bit more narrowly than the case overall. So this one is an Office for Civil Rights complaint, 2014, out of Georgia, and it involves the sport of cheerleading. With diabetes. <laughs> you can't read a story about diabetes and not be like, I'm Wilfred Brimley and I have diabetes. Very <laughs> good. Up. No, very good. You're, like, you're embarrassed by me now. No, not at all. Lies, lies. So, so this one, we had a kid, Erin, who failed to make the varsity squad. She'd been in cheerleading for years leading up to this. And apparently was pretty confident she was going to make the varsity squad because even though she had the opportunity to say, hey, I'm trying out for varsity or JV, she went all in, like burn the ships, right? She's like, I'm only trying out for varsity, and she didn't make the team. Well, and I think when looking at, right, I mean, some of the facts on that, yes, she was a junior this year. She was on the varsity squad her sophomore year. So she went all out, yeah, being like, listen, I was on it last year. I've done it for a long time. I, there is no need for me to waste my time trying out for anyone else. I'm going to do varsity. And then she didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so and, and there were a few things, again, we won't explore all the topics. There were some questions that, you know, you'd mentioned earlier, coaches maybe saying things that can get misconstrued. So there were some concerns about coaches saying, you know, do you need to take a rest and directing or where to take a rest, things like that that maybe caused some concern. Uh, but what we're zeroed in on is the actual tryout process for the year she didn't make the squad. So she tried out, and, and they did a lot of things right, it sounds like. They had rubrics. They had score sheets. They had multiple people operating these things. So a lot of things look good, right? I love all of that documentation. It seems ridiculous, right? I'm sorry, and I'm not calling cheer into anything. It seems ridiculous that for non-academic extracurricular activities, we have to go to this extent to ensure at tryouts that things are that anonymous or that um, rubriced, if that's a word. But we're doing it. And it seems like this district was being successful in that and making sure they kept their documentation. Not only did they do it, they kept it, which is also key, right? Not yep. once the tryouts are over, here's the trash can on the way out. Right. They didn't do that. They really w seemed to engage in the process the correct way. Right. And, and that rubric, there was no category where you got like bonus points or preference if you were on the squad before. So yes, you're right. She had been varsity. That doesn't get you any kind of preference. And there were, of course, many more people trying out than actually made the squad. And here, it, the top 20 scores at the end of the week of tryouts made the team. And then the student was number 26. But if she had tried out for JV... Mm -hmm. She would have made JV. She would have. Yeah. And so OCR did what they sometimes do. They dove in. They requested all these records, which thankfully existed. They reviewed them all, and it actually really served the school's interests, right? Because they looked at it, and the school said, here's the story. Um, we have cutoffs. We have these scores. She didn't make them. Now, the family responded, yeah, but you didn't let her redo some tumbles, I think mm -hmm. it was, right? And Or uh, you made her do extra things. Maybe her mile run was too long. Mm -hmm. But I think even what OCR said on the other side of it is that 
one, the student and parents didn't request accommodations going into this. Now, should we have known about the need for accommodations beforehand? I think there's a question. I truly do. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't think that had they given her the uh, had they given her accommodations, it's not clear from my reading of the facts that extra time, opportunity for redo, any of those things would have been helpful, right? It wasn't tied to her disability. We're giving accommodations that are necessary because of one's disability, not just because it's going to up a score on a cheerleading sheet. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's where the family really wasn't able to, because the one area where OCR seemed to most entertain their concerns was with that mile run and and her time not meeting a cutoff. But even there, because they were able to point to, and I am not well-versed in like the particulars of diabetes as a medical condition, but her ketones were off. And uh, they were able to document that somehow. Maybe she's wearing a meter of some sort. And OCR looked at it and said, look, even if something could have been done to accommodate that, you, you could have run you know, a Steve Prefontaine four-minute mile, and that wasn't going to be enough to make the team. And, and as far as, you know, they, the family also pointed to other athletes who are allowed to redo some of the tumbles and things like that. And the coaches, because they're good documentation, were able to show, well, those are kids who had been doing fine all week. And then in the moment of doing the tryout, they, they just flubbed it. And in contrast, the student at issue here, she was doing poorly with those all week. So when she continued to do poorly at the moment of the tryout at the end of the week, the coaches did not give her another chance, but they were able to document and support what they did. So really a model for what an ideal tryout would look like, especially in a kind of high profile, emotionally laden sport. And I just mean like much like I would say football has a lot of emotion attached to it. Just a sport that's got a lot the adults are bringing to it as well as the kids. I do think in looking at these moments, right, I mean, having those coaches understand everything that happened, remember their reasoning why. I mean, this all speaks to me that this team had training beforehand. Right. I mean, and that is very well key to making sure that we are acting appropriately as a district. So if you look at those practical tips, training's really important. And even though... We want to say sometimes, oh, they're just our coaches. We don't have to worry about it, right? We do the required trainings for the CPRs and the AEDs and the concussion protocols and all the things. That's all well and good, but we also need to train all of these coaching staff or our club advisors or whatever else on what it means to accommodate students both on the front end and throughout an activity. I think that also means making sure our guidance counselors who tend to run our 504 meetings or if you in in your district have someone else run them, your district reps who are sitting in IEP meetings, they're talking through each year, what do you need? Because otherwise, we've had people show up to, let's even say, basketball trials. Well, my daughter needed extra time because she gets extra time on math tests, so you need to give her extra time to practice her free throws. Well, what does that mean? Because we can't give you extra time in a game. Like They're not going to say, oh, well, sorry, you get an extra 30 seconds here. The clock's going to be running. So I think having the training and the knowledge for all of those lines of defense And those front lines of facing children and parents, right, the families, is really important. Yeah, yeah, because we can do tryouts. Like, that's what's key here. And that's why one thing we really like about this case out of Georgia is you're allowed to do tryouts. You just have to do them the right way. Uh, So, yeah, letting folks know, yes, we can do tryouts and nobody goes out and does kind of their own thing trying to preserve the integrity of their sport. 
Um, so training on that, not caving on tryouts, but then doing them in a fair way that accommodates uh, students reasonably. And I would go a step further, and I say this as somebody who loves sports. You know, coach when I when I taught was uh, an athlete in high school. It's really important to me. I think they're really key for kids and their experience in school. Consider requiring establishing at least basic competencies, even for sports we don't and activities we don't try out in. And and why I say that is. If, if a student is utterly incapable of, um, you roll dice for Dungeons and Dragons? I have no Question idea. Mark? I've never played the okay. game. All right. I've never played the game. I'm going to say you roll dice. Cool. And so let's say if we have a student who is so cognitively impaired that not only are they incapable of rolling dice, they're incapable of recognizing what the dice mean and then making the choice about what to do. With the next step in the game, with sure. With the next step in, in the, the fantasy game. play. I'll yes. go with it. Yep. Um, if we've got that kid... But we don't have some way that we say, hey, you, you, you've established basic competencies to be a part of this club. When that club decides to do the weekend trip uh, out of town for a D&D tournament, how are we saying no? I don't think you are. Yeah. I mean, I think in those moments, while well, we're really going into D&D today, this is great. Yeah. Um, if you're the dungeon master, right, and you are creating the entire story and the choices, if we're requiring every participation participant to take a turn in that I would say that there's some fundamental right skills that you need to have to be within that and would it be a fundamental alteration in order to ensure that other kids can participate I think it's one of those where it is case by case but also to build your best scenario having the fundamentals for each activity is really important for the base skill level and the ability to really participate the way that it's meant to be for that opportunity, right? Having that equal opportunity in 504 world. And absolutely. And I guess, you know, one one final thought as as we wrap this episode up is that to revisit what you said about the the whether it's the guidance counselor or whoever it is that runs the meeting, not only having them explore that, but then making sure you have a consistent, established, train your staff for it way of then communicating that information wherever it might need to go. We can't have some sort of wall between our athletic department and the folks that are serving the kid in school. So if we if we do those things, the training having well-structured, thought-out tryouts, and we communicate it back and forth, we're going to be in great shape. Well, and making sure your online systems that people sign up in for trying out for things. There's a lot of times we use final forms often for a lot of our client districts. They'll take that information, and it'll say, my child needs an accommodation, and then it goes nowhere. So that communication piece, not just from your counselors, your district reps, and your ADs, and your coaches – but also within your technological forms that if you have that information, right, you're going to be presumed to have knowledge. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's just a few things. There, There's a lot that can be done here. Sports do some amazing things for our kids. And with some careful planning, it's something that's not going to get you in trouble and it's going to continue to offer those great benefits to all of the students that are in your schools. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritton.com or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to share, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. Whether by phone or this podcast, we look forward to being on the call with you again soon.